In this soundbite taken from our conversation, Professor David Mosey shares his views on the most significant and interesting recent trends and developments in construction law, as well as the issues that are most ripe for judicial attention. Perhaps we could move on to sort of the substantive law, if you like. What do you think have been the most significant and most interesting construction law developments over the past decade? I've given really serious thought to that question. And I mean, the first really important development, I think, has been the evolution of non-adversarial dispute resolution. The work done on implementing the FIDIC uh, DAB, now DAAB, is really important and is credible, is developing new expertise, and indeed is influencing the contract drafting bodies in the UK with NEC adopting something similar. So the idea that the parties can have greater control over their dispute resolution is a significant change, I think. The next one is building information modeling. I think digital technology shines a pretty harsh light on unsatisfactory practices, disjointed approaches. You can't program a reasonable period of time. You can only program a number of weeks. You can't explain to a computer logically why the work of a design consultant is left separated by two contractual relationships and a good amount of time from the work of the manufacturer or specialist subcontractor who's going to implement it. So in terms of integration, in terms of clarity, BIM is going to give rise to all sorts of interesting issues, not least, for example, in terms of intellectual property law and in terms of programming. And then the third one, dear to my heart, I've spent 20 years working on collaborative models, focusing on clarity uh, of the way the parties work together. Whereas often people say, oh, no, 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 that's all about good faith. Well, of course, as the case law on good faith ever multiplies, um, it's suggested that just adding formulaic wording or, or a vague behavioural principle doesn't quite appear to be doing the trick. Um, So in terms of UK and international policy, um, in terms of contractual machinery, um, uh, we're getting uh, some more uh, demanding, I think, approaches to what we mean by collaboration and and, and strategic procurement. So um, the law in dispute resolution terms obviously follows this and picks up where people are getting it wrong, um, but the law in, in procurement and contracting terms uh, has moved at some speed over the last 10 years. Well, it's interesting you mentioned BIM. I think Emma's got a question for you at the end about BIM, uh, and we'll discuss that in a moment. But which of those issues, if any of them, generate the most interest in your students? Where do they see the most interesting developments? It comes back to the practical. They'll examine the theoretical in order to have a proper understanding of the law, but they come on this course in order to apply their learning. So they're interested in anything that they can apply and practice. So you see people getting their heads around issues of concurrency on delay because they just don't understand why there is a dysfunctionality there. You see them getting their heads around why there are so many disputes. And you look at causes. Going back, there was a wonderful report by Mohan Kumaraswamy in in Hong Kong back in in 97, looking at the causes of disputes. And then when you analyze those in terms of inadequate data exchange, inadequate planning, the students love this because they can see it's not an inevitability 
that there is a dispute. Uh, you know, construction projects are so complex that it's, it's always likely something will come up. But the idea that they don't just have to sit and watch things go wrong, that they can learn techniques to influence those always arouses their interest. These, these are young professionals, mostly young professionals, certainly you know, younger, uh, who have lots of opportunities in their career uh, to do something different. And they get very excited as they start to gain the confidence as to how they might go about this. I guess it's implicit in the nature of what you're teaching that what's driving a lot of the issues and the subjects and the topics is the avoidance of disputes. It's the reality of the contentious nature of construction projects, certainly in the past, that um, brought them to study the course. They want to avoid disputes. They want to manage projects better so there aren't disputes. Would you agree with that? Yes and no. I pains to recognise that a lot of our students are fascinated by the process of dispute resolution, the forensics of it, the intellectual challenges, the need to represent somebody's interests successfully. Um, and that is how their brains are wired, and that is what they're interested in doing. And they want to understand the causes of disputes so that they will be successful in resolving them. Um, as I say, there are others because of the nature of their job as well as the nature of what you know, gets them out of bed intellectually, um, who do want to focus on avoidance, proactive risk management, um, and, and solutions. There was a, there was a thing, I, I just want to go back, when I, when I started my career, I was a government legal advisor in Bahrain. Um, there was a wonderful man, Yusuf Sharawi, Minister of Development, and I once told him as a young man that there was some, a proposal he had for a joint venture couldn't be done, it was, it was contrary to the law. And he sent me a little note. He sent me a little note with, a, with his driver. And the note said, David, uh, a legal advisor in order to be effective has to understand his master's political wish and explain how it can be put into effect. They don't tell me what I can't do. Um, and I think that, you know, we, we want to our, our students to understand what they can do. Uh, it doesn't matter where they want to do it, you know, if they're going to, if they're going to, be highly successful in dispute resolution of any type, you know, non-adversarial as we call it, or, you know, or, or, or arbitration or litigation. Um, we want them to be thinking boldly and confidently as to how they go about it, rather than assuming that it's the same uh, issues that are going to come up ad, ad infinitum. And, 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 and I do think that uh, when they come out of the other end of this course, um, and they're all very proud to have, have finished it successfully, um, they have some new working material for, uh, as I say, a more confident, perhaps more innovative approach, whatever aspect they're looking at. I mean, and now looking, sort of looking into the future, and again, coming back to sort of substantive legal issues, which construction law issues do you think is most ripe for judicial attention? And do you expect it to be addressed soon? <laughs> Good, good second part to that question. Uh, I'll tell you three that, that really preoccupy me. One is the interface between design creativity and efficient project delivery. I, I, I produced a book last year, which I'm obviously now promoting, um, Collaborative Construction, Procurement and Improved Value. Uh, and I quoted Leonard Cohen 
um, there is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Not, not in terms of, uh, of, of, of defects in a construction project. We don't want a crack in everything. But the point there is that we have to recognize construction projects start with a creative process of an architect or engineer who frequently is creating something that didn't previously exist, uh, which I, I can't imagine how they go about it, but they do, and they have to have some space to do so. Where we seem to suffer is translating that into a systematic integrated delivery process. You might argue design consultants hang on to the design too long, still want to be tinkering with it during the construction phase. But the process of what is a change, what is a claim, what is a delay, um, is always contentious. So I think that interface still, and it's a universal abiding issue in, in any project at any level, um, uh, it will need more judicial attention and we need to try and think how, uh, how contracts and procurement models, uh, as well as project management organisations, should go about getting that right because I think they shy away from it. And you know, when we have cases, as we did recently, uh, with an eminent firm of architects saying it was not their job to design to a budget, um, that was someone else's problem, we realized that this universal issue is still uh, uh, with us. Um, second issue, I think the responsibility of project managers to contractors, uh, the idea that they're meant to be objective, but they're only answerable to their client, is an anomaly, um, and that just doesn't seem to me to make sense. And linked to that, I'm obviously having a go at consultants here, I've just realized, on all three fronts, um, the responsibility of consultants for getting the procurement model right and the contractual integration right. There's something very odd in the way that nobody is ever responsible. Uh, I've had people say it's the client's responsibility. The client knows nothing compared to all the people the client is paying. Someone somewhere says, uh, yes, we'll do a single stage design and build. We'll, we'll chuck all the liability over the wall. Uh, we'll do single stage, even if it's a bit of a gamble because we're not sure we've got the data right. Um, and, uh, and nobody's going to be sacked for doing design and build and, 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 and the professionals can, can do that work on a relatively modest fee. There's some very uh, rough and ready thinking and consultants would turn down around to me, the project managers, the QSs, and they'd be furious because they'd say, you know, well, we're not given time for anything more creative. We're not given enough fees for a more thorough approach. But the buck has to stop somewhere um, in terms of the way projects are set up. Um, and you know, I'm not trying to dump liability onto consultants, but I do think judicial attention to that is wanting. Uh, the cases that emerge are fascinating, uh, but often you do get the sense that uh, there's been a conspiracy whereby the only dispute is with the contractor and somehow none of the consultant team carry a decision-making liability.